1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to continue from uh, our message from last week, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'll pick up reading here in verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, uh, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to, possess, how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have also forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness." He therefore that despiseth not man, or despiseth rather, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given us his Holy Spirit. Let's pray together, Father, we pray that you'll bless and help us now as we open your word, and we're asking, Lord, for the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you'd please help me to be filled with your spirit, Lord, that I might preach your word as it is in truth, speak to our hearts, challenge us, help us, Lord, we pray, to remember that time when we will all uh, give account to you, and may we be found ready. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And so we started talking here about um, this matter of how to be ready for the rapture uh, and uh, the next prophetic event on God's calendar. Uh, and uh, I would say most of us would say, uh, I'm ready to go. I've, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, I've about had enough of all this. Let's go on uh, and uh, be with the Lord. Uh, and in heaven with him. Of course, God's the one who makes that decision. Uh, and on the one hand, while we can say, Lord, uh, we want to go, we want to go now, we also know that there are a whole lot of people in this world that have yet to be saved. They have not received Christ as their personal Savior. You and I are left here as lights of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord wants us to be faithful witnesses for him. Uh, and so uh, God knows, of course, the beginning from the end, and it's ours to trust him and to wait for his timing. Uh, but uh, even though we might say we'd like to uh, be caught up and be with the Lord, we also know that uh, because of that accounting, we, we have some reckoning to do in this life, no doubt. Each of us as individuals need to consider where we stand before the Lord. And so Paul was reminding the Thessalonian believers that they, uh, they needed to prepare themselves uh, for their future uh, accountability to God and you got to do that in this life. Once we go from this life into our time with the Lord there, uh, it's going to be too late then. And so the fact of the matter is you and I can be ready if we will exercise ourselves to godliness. And so he talks about uh, preparation for that time. And uh, this idea of our going to the Lord and the Lord returning in the Bible always produces some or should produce some form of self-examination in our life. We said that uh, from Titus chapter 2 and verse number 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live, so, live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, 
uh, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And so when we think about the Lord's return, we need to, of course, be thinking about our own holiness before him. And so the, the overall uh, instruction, uh, the overall injunction in these first verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter number 4 is to be consecrated because Jesus is coming again. Uh, we need to uh, work to be closer to him, to, be, uh, to allow him to uh, search our hearts and to cleanse us. Again, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and, if, and it doth not yet appear what we, what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is uh, pure. And so why? Because we know that reckoning is coming. And so in light of that, the Bible gives some very clear instruction on how we can get ready. And uh, we looked at a few of these last Wednesday night, uh, the first of which was uh, getting ready by, uh, by being in a state of continual implementation of the word. First two verses, furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. There's a difference between knowledge and practice, right? And, and, and so the, really the, uh, the force of this, these particular verses is uh, you already know how you ought to be living. Now you just need to get busy about doing it. Uh, and uh, this is one of, the, uh, one of the great challenges of Christian life. I, I mean, uh, there's 66 books here, uh, and uh, one man called it the Divine Library. Uh, right there, and you can hold it in one hand. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of material in there. <laughs> there's a lifetime of material in there. Here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. But we need to be putting the Bible to practice. A lot of people quote verses that they aren't living them. We need to be living them. And when you ask God to help us live them, we said last week there's a lot of folks that know they ought to read their Bible, but they don't. And they know they ought to pray, but they don't. They know they ought to give, but they don't. They know they know they ought to go to church, but they don't go to church. And uh, they 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 uh, uh, they know they ought to witness, but they don't. They know they ought to love their brother, but they don't. And so James reminds us: if there if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer only, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. But whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. And so we need to get round to putting the Bible to work in our life. Now, of course, this presumes that we are in the state of verse 1, where he says there, uh, Brethren, we exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received, so ye would do. In other words, there needs to be a reception. The reception of the word by the reading of it. The reception of the word through the preaching of it. There needs to be the word of God in our heart and our mind so we can put it to practice in our life. Now, Paul told the Corinthians, he said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, 
Uh, and uh, I think I mentioned to you before, one preacher called that the largest denomination of Christians in the world, the ignorant brethren. <laughs> uh, we need to be careful uh, that we take God's word and know it and put it to work in our life. Uh, and uh, in every way that we can because we're going to account for it here. So by, uh, by continual implementation of the word, finding ways that we can apply the, uh, the word of God in a greater way in our life. Then we said, secondly, by personal sanctification. You see that in verse 3 and 4 here. Where being, he uses the word sanctification in verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And he says that you should abstain from fornication. And so clearly fornication uh, is, uh, is that essential lifestyle, that illicit lifestyle. And the Bible says we're not to be involved in that. We're to abstain from that. Uh, but it's not the only area of life where we need to set ourselves apart unto God. Personal sanctification. Uh, and uh, he says we need to be uh, putting to work this thing in our life. Philippians 2 and 12. Working out our salvation with fear and trembling. You get born again, you begin to work it out. And this working out of your salvation is going to produce this personal sanctification in your life. Uh, and let me tell you something. The world's not much interested in it. Modern Christianity is not much interested in it. But it's still okay to be holy and separate from sin and unto God in this world. God desires that. He says we're to abstain from sin. We're to live for Him. Uh, and uh, we don't take our measuring stick by the world anyway. We take it from the good Word of God. Uh, and it's okay to seek sanctification in uh, this life. I remember uh, some, this has been a while back now, a couple, a couple three years, but I remember uh, uh, some type of interview being done with Vice President Mike Pence, and he made the statement in one of the answers to the questions that uh, he didn't want to be seen at a dinner table with another woman that was not his wife. Now, I'm telling you, we're living in a world when that's okay. I mean, you have business lunches and all this, and it's normal for the world, but the Christian ought to be paying attention to their life. Mike Pence said, I don't want to do that, and they mocked him. And they made fun of him. They said that was silly, and it was going too far. But uh, we need more holiness, not less. Uh, and so uh, being mindful that we need to set ourselves apart unto him. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 5 and 12, For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again. We need that again in our churches. So a Bible teaching on, uh, on personal separation, uh, a Bible teaching on holiness, being set apart unto God. We need this personal sanctification. Uh, and so he talks about how to do it here when he says we need to live purely in the last part of verse number three, that you should abstain from fornication, that we should live honorably in verse number four, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. That phrase, possess your vessel, means know how to control your life. Uh, and uh, Paul said, I bring, I bring my body into subjection. Uh, and uh, he keeps under his body, brings it into subjection. So he might honor God and not become a castaway. We need some honorable Christian living in this life. And then we need to live constrainedly, of course. If we're going to live purely and we're going to live honorably, we're going to have to live constrainedly. In verse number 6, he says that no man go beyond and defraud his brother. That word go beyond means you cross a line. Uh, you go over the wall. You're in violation. Uh, it's uh, being out of bounds, if you will. And you and I shouldn't be living life out of bounds. We need to live in bounds. Uh, we need to live on the field, not off the field. Uh, and be careful about how we do. And interesting here, he says that no man go beyond and defraud his brother. And so it's not just a matter of crossing the bound, 
but it's crossing a boundary and becoming a stumbling block to a brother, a hindrance to a brother. We talked about that Sunday uh, morning in the message then that we need to be careful about how our life, how we live our life and live in bounds and live constrainedly so we don't uh, end up uh, uh, crossing those bounds and hurting a brother or sister uh, or, uh, or uh, damaging their Christian walk uh, with God. Uh, and so the Lord reminded us of this in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 45. But if that servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, shall begin to, shall begin to beat the men servants and the maid servants and to eat and to drink and be drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him and an hour when he is not aware. So, uh, you know, we said Sunday morning, we are our brother's keeper. And we need to be careful that we don't go beyond and defraud uh, our brother. And so we need to live purely, we need to live honorably, we need to live constrainedly, and then we need to live reverently. In verse number uh, 7, he said, For God hath not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. Uh, and again, just this emphasis continually of sanctification. That word uncleanness has the idea of, uh, uh, of filth, uh, but it also includes the idea of lack of constraint, lack of self-control. And God has called us to be holy. He said, Be holy, for I am holy. Holy, and so we ought to seek that kind of holiness by living in holiness. Uh, we live, uh, we live uh, reverently by living in holiness rather than uncleanness, and by living with God's ultimate authority in mind. In verse number eight, He said, "Be he therefore that despiseth, despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us His holy Spirit." Uh, and so we want to live with respect to God's ultimate authority. And here, he's talking here about those who would be tempted to despise uh, the word as it's been preached or taught uh, because they say it's just the word of man. But he says here, if you despise that, you're, uh, you are not um, despising man, you're despising God. When it comes to the scriptures, of course, the writing of the word of God, the Bible tells us, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is not the word of, of men. This is not cunningly devised fables. These are the oracles of the living God. And when they're rightly divided and preached, you and I have and taught or received where we, you and I have the responsibility to apply them to our life and to receive them as it is indeed the word of God. I was thinking on the way down uh, to service tonight. Uh, I was thinking about just the uh, years of the history of my own Christianity and all the various approaches and, uh, that I've seen uh, in the work of the Lord. And I'm telling you one thing. I, I mean, I thought, I, you know, when I was newly saved, I was hard-headed. And uh, I, I can't say rebellious. I, could, I, I think I can just say ignorantly hard-headed. I, I didn't open my mind to the Word of God. I, you know, just kind of... Let it go in one ear and out the other, or some something another, and uh, and I'm sure it was uh, a burden on uh, on my mentors. But uh, I, uh, you know, at some point along the line, God got a hold of my heart, and at some point in in, in my life, I, I I remember just realizing, hey, you know what? Uh, this uh, salvation, of course, is uh, eternal, uh, and uh, it's the greatest thing in all the world. I get to hold in my hand the inspired word of God. Uh, and uh, there's nothing in life worth doing but giving myself unreservedly to God for his service and to try to honor him with my life. 
And you just believe it. And you just uh, honor, and you obey the Lord and you put His Word to work in your life uh, because you realize that His Word is the authority. That's how the Thessalonians received the Word as it was indeed the Word of God. And so he, he tells us here that we need to live uh, we need to live honorably uh, uh, and reverently uh, by, by living in holiness, verse number 7, by remembering the authority of God in verse number 8. And uh, so we are to have this personal sanctification. But then he makes a step further in verse uh, number 9, uh, and he tells us that we need to uh, practice familial devotion. That means we're to love our brethren. Uh, we're to live in love. Verse 9, but as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. <laughs> and indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Now this is an interesting passage of Scripture because... Uh, we have a lot of folks sometimes that get the idea that they don't need, they can be saved, but they don't need church. And uh, they believe that they can be saved, but they don't need the preaching. I heard somebody say one time, well, I've read my Bible through one time, and that's about all I need, I guess. Now, uh, uh, and uh, you, you note here verse 9 when he says, Touching brother love you, you need not that I write unto you. Watch now. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Now, what's the deal here? We either need somebody to teach us or we don't. Uh, what's the answer? Yes. <laughs> you have in you the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God will teach you how to love. But you need it. So Paul said, I've written unto you anyway. Now remember, it wasn't Paul in the flesh that wrote the Word. It was the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God that lives in you, that motivates you to love the brethren, put it down in, in, uh, uh, in, uh, in, in, in black and white just to be reminded that we need to love one another. Uh, and so he said, and indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia, but we beseech you that you increase more and more. Now remember, uh, we're talking here about those times as we come into the last days. Brother, it's difficult living in these days, I'm telling you, as far as trying to live for the Lord. Uh, and the world is a mess. Uh, in many ways, churches are a mess. Christianity is confused. Uh, and uh, uh, there's all kinds of tension. You, I, mean, all, I mean, you saw that just, uh, what, yesterday or day before up on Capitol Hill and a big mess going on up there. It seemed like can't nobody get along. <laughs> and the pressures are high. Uh, and tensions are high, and if you and I aren't careful, we'll fall into a mood and a mode that is less than loving. And so he says, in the midst of all the trouble, you need to remember not only to love your brethren, last part of verse number 10, but that you increase more and more. Now, how do you feel about life? You ever get discouraged about it? You ever get wore out with it? You ever get tired of dealing with it? Does it ever get the best of you? Let me remind you, the same thing happens in your brother and your sister. And if somehow or another, instead of seeing uh, them over against us, we could see us 
in them and realize that they face the same burdens and problems and difficulties and discouragements as we do and try to take the initiative to love as a ministry of encouragement to other people whose hearts and minds and lives are burdened down by a wicked world, uh, we would have a ministry of strength and encouragement to others. We need to love the brethren. You're not the only one living in this world. And the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren, the world, uh, the, the Bible tells us. So we need to be careful to love the brethren and do it more and more, more and more. And so he tells us that we're preparing for our rapture. We're, we're, we're getting rapture ready by familial devotion, by loving the brethren. Uh, then he tells us, fourthly, uh, that uh, we need to uh, get the rapture ready by an intentional conversation. In other words, setting our life in order. Now, that word conversation in the Bible is often used uh, to, re to reference to uh, far beyond just speech, but to our lifestyle. In Philippians 1 and 27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Your conversation are the affairs of your life, the events of your life, the activities of your life, uh, the manner of your life. And, and he says we get ready uh, for rapture ready by uh, having an intentional conversation. We have an intentional lifestyle. We have to make choices in life. Now, Psalm 50 and verse 23 has, says, uh, Psalm 50 and verse 23, Whoso offereth praise, God said, glorifieth me, and to him, listen, that ordereth his conversation aright, will I show the salvation of God. You and I need to set our life in order. We need to set our conversation in order. And he tells us how to do that here in verse number uh, 11. Uh, you see that uh, in the first part of verse 11, and that ye study. Now, that word study means to aspire to. It means to, it means to make something an ambition. Uh, and uh, the Bible says, uh, of course, uh, that uh, therefore uh, we need to make as an ambition certain choices in our lifestyle, we need to set our lifestyle in a godly order. Do all things decently and in order. And here's the thing. The life of the Christian should be one that's marked with a peaceful purpose. We don't live on accident, but we live according to the will and the purpose and the direction of God. And we're going to have to set as the study of our life, the ambition of our life, to set our life in a peaceful, purposeful order. Now, what does he say about that? He says, well, we need to seek to live peaceably in verse 11, that you study to be quiet. <laughs> quiet. Uh, that word quiet uh, doesn't necessarily deal with just speaking, but rather a peaceable existence. It means to work toward a peaceable existence. That you study to be quiet. Uh, don't be a rabble rouser. Amen. 
Uh, somebody said the, the, the word here refers to a person uh, that is working not to present social problems. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Don't be the one always stirring up a ruckus. Mm. Seek a peaceable existence. Uh, and uh, 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 seek a quiet lifestyle. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, uh, the Bible speaking there of prayer, and it says that we ought to pray for kings and for all that are authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Quiet. Now, I have to tell you, there's a whole lot of people's lives that are not that at all. They're not quiet at all. They're chaotic. And why? Because they haven't set to a study. They haven't, uh, they haven't studied. They haven't aspired to make decisions that will help their life be peaceable. They've not studied to, make their, uh, uh, to, to uh, do all things decently and in order. They've just let, you know, come what may. Chaos on every hand. And some people have blamed God for it. But a lot of times it's our choices. What, a, what does your life look like? Does it look like chaos all the time? Are you doing anything to try to settle it down? A lot of times it's not God's fault. Hey, not your spouse's fault. Not your children's fault. Hello, it's your fault. You're making bad decisions. You're not studying to have a quiet life. You're not studying to have a peaceable life. And so because you're not aspiring to that and you're not working toward it, everything in its brother takes control of your life. Quiet has the idea of the absence of external disturbances. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Peaceable refers to the absence of internal ones. And so he says that we need to study to live peaceably. Are we doing that? Now, I've said this before, and it's awfully difficult, I know, because our world is not this. Uh, many times your friends are not this. Your workplace is not this. And so what that means is you're going to have to make some decisions that may be hard. They may be difficult. They may be divisive when it comes uh, to others. You know. um, but you're making decisions to help your life be peaceable and quiet. And let me just say that along these lines, some people need to make some de de tough decisions about their allowances in life that make them chaotic, that take away their peace, that steal their joy. We need to study to be quiet. And uh, even that has to do with the idea of... Um, well, when Paul was telling, uh, telling us to pray in 1 Timothy chapter number 2, he's talking about reminding us to pray, uh, to, re to reverence authority, uh, to be a good citizen, uh, so that we can make decisions to make our life peaceable. Uh, we don't want to make decisions that unnecessarily uh, cause disturbance. Study, and here's why, because... It's so easy for our minds to get taken off the Lord in the first place, much less a reminder that he, he's, the trumpet could sound at any minute and we'd be standing before him. And so it's a, uh, there's so much distraction in our life from the Lord and the things of the Lord. And so we need to study to be peaceful.
peaceable. Then he says we need to study to not only live peaceably, but to live personally. Verse 11, that you study to be quiet, watch now, and do your own business. And work with your own hands as we commanded you. Here's what he said. You need to work to stand up on your own two feet. Amen. That's not what many people are looking for today. You know, we're living in a victim society. Everybody's a victim. Everybody's done wrong by somebody else. Their whole life is all somebody else's fault. Hey, man, stand up on your own two feet. Stand up on your own two feet. Don't be a, uh, don't be a parasite. Don't be a moocher. Don't be a sponge. Stand up on your own two feet. Work with your own hands. Uh, the idea here is don't be, uh, you know, and it's all connected. Uh, uh, how that uh, you had some that didn't want to work at all, Paul said. And the end result is they just wanted to mooch off everybody else. Well, that sounds like our day, doesn't it? <laughs> hey, stand up on your own two feet and take care of your own business. Mind your own business. Um, it's the idle people that end up in everybody else's business. Um, uh, I don't know where this day went. All of a sudden, I'm standing up here preaching. I'm like, what happened to four this morning? It's gone. <laughs> it's gone. All right, man, I'm telling you. Uh, and uh, uh, always something going on, working toward, working on, and it's relentless. And so it, it boggles my mind that there are some folks that have enough time to be in everybody's business and know about everybody else's stuff many times but their own. At the idle mind, somebody says, the devil's playhouse. Find something, amen, to do for God. Uh, take care of your own business, that's what he's saying here. He said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 11, well, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 13, he says, And with all, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things they ought not. <laughs> and social media makes it worse. The temptation worse. People make it worse. But it puts the temptation out there, uh, you know, to all the time be in everybody's business. And people on there commenting on stuff they ain't got no business commenting on. Is it okay to tell people nobody cares what you think? Is that okay? Apparently not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mind your own business. Here's the other thing. People will mind their own business if you ain't putting all yours in the public. Amen. I've said this before. You can take a picture of you want to, but I don't care what you had for dinner. Amen. I don't. God bless you. <laughs> I mean, we're driving ourselves nuts in this world. You understand what I'm saying? And uh, anyway, he said, idle, speaking things they ought not. Second Thessalonians 3 and 11, for we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, not working at all, but are busy about it. Some had the idea that the rapture was going to happen at any moment. Amen. But because of that, they just quit engaging in life. And they ended up becoming... Uh, as I said earlier, uh, a sponge or a moocher or a parasite on others. So he says in verse number 11, study, be quiet, do your own business and work with your own hands. Amen. Live peaceably. 
live personally. And then he says in verse 12, live productively. Live productively. Look, that you might walk honestly toward them that are without, and that you might have lack of nothing. Uh, and so he talks about two things here, that you might walk honestly toward them that are without. So the first, uh, the first thing that you're working toward in life is to have a, a right testimony before an unbelieving world. And uh, certainly that uh, ought to be the case with those of us that know the Lord. We want to be that we want to have a right conversation, a right lifestyle, a right testimony. And uh, the, the, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking earlier today as well. There, uh, again, there's there's nothing deader in all the world in a dead church. But you know why? Because it's a place where there ought to be life, there ought to be vibrant. God is supposed to be there. The same God that spoke the world into creation that said, let there be light. And there was light. That's the God of light and life. So when there's a place that claims to be knowing God and worshiping God and it's deader than a hammer, that's the deadest thing in all the world. The deadest thing in all the world. And then uh, the worst testimony in all the world is a lazy Christian. Yeah. A lazy Christian. Our Savior wasn't lazy. No, uh, he was committed to, uh, yeah, I mean, he, uh, he was a carpenter, of course, and a carpenter's son. Uh, but at the same time, he was busy about the father's business. He wasn't lazy. Uh, he, uh, he's the one that told us we need to work for the night's coming. Uh, and uh, there's not going to be much, there's not much light left time to work for God. We're going to be a hard-working people. And that's getting away from us in our world. But he said we need to, he's talking about living productively. And so uh, he says we need to be diligent so that we're not a reproach to Christianity. But then he says we need to be diligent so that we'll be able to provide for ourselves. Uh, he said uh, two things, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. The Bible says the desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. And again, by the sweat of your brow shall ye eat bread. And so he reminds us here of the benefit of hard work. Hard work. Remember the Lord said, uh, we're talking here, of course, about the rapture when he comes to take us on himself. And the Lord said when he came back, well, he, he wondered whether or not he would find his servants so doing. Busy. Busy uh, in the activities of life that uh, provide for their families uh, and that honor God, working in the will of God, working uh, for the glory of God. We need to be diligent. We need to live productively uh, in our life. And so... Be consecrated, he says, by this continual implementation of the word of God. By working toward personal sanctification and purity in our life. By being careful to practice familial devotion, that is to love the brethren. And uh, by uh, living with an intentional conversation, by setting our life in order. It's then and only then that we'll be rapture ready. Until we're engaged in all these things. We'll be like that servant when the trumpet sounds, caught off guard, caught unaware, 
But if we'll be diligent about these things in our life, we'll be able to move from this matter of being consecrated because Jesus is coming again to being comforted. Verse 13, But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. And we often use this when we uh, speak at funerals. But nonetheless, there is no comfort, by the way, when we know that we're not walking with our Savior's friend with friend. And the only way we walk with our Savior's friend with friend is to do diligent business. Look, right down to the details of our daily life, right out of these first 12, uh, first 12 verses of 1 Thessalonians 4, working on the details of our life, setting our conversation aright so that we're ready when the trumpet sounds. Let's stand together and bow our heads for prayer, please. Ready?